Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. Welcome back. If you're a returning listener, if you're a newcomer, then welcome aboard. And, of course, if you are a patron, then extra special thank you to you as uh, your contributions to the program. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. A couple of bucks a month is what it costs. Uh, Two bucks U.S. And early access to all the interviews that you hear on uh, a full episode of the Pipeline Show, like you're listening to right now. You're going to hear four guests on this week's episode. All four of those interviews are available individually and early to patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Wherever you're getting your copy of the Pipeline Show, whether you're getting it from iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're getting it from, the Podbean If you have the ability to leave a comment and or a rating, I encourage you to do so as it it encourages new listeners to give the show a try. All right, we got a busy show for you. We're going to get to a lot of news and notes, but first a reminder that the Pipeline Show is brought to you by our title sponsor, and that is the most delicious beef jerky you've ever had. It's Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com or .ca, either one. W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Three locations in the Edmonton area where you can go and pick up your beef jerky. But if you're not from this neck of the woods, as long as you're in Western Canada, you can place your order online at through their website, and it will be shipped to you. Vacuum sealed, absolutely fresh and delicious on delivery anywhere in Western Canada. That's Wilhock Beef Jerky, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Let's get right to the news and notes, and as usual, start with this week's CHL Top 10. Now that the OHL is finally underway, it's uh, the first first regular season edition, rather. We had the preseason edition uh, a couple of weeks ago, but now that the OHL is playing, we can get right down to business. The Winnipeg Ice still ranked number one, followed by Quebec and Seattle. No changes there. Sherbrooke is up to number four. The Kamloops Blazers are number five, still don't have Logan Stankoven back yet, and there is the potential that he might actually start the season with the Dallas Stars. The Gatineau Olympique are number six, Guelph is seven, Owen Sound eight, followed by the Flint Firebirds, and uh, coming in at number ten, the Portland Winterhawks. Honorable mentions this week go to Mississauga, Halifax, 
and the Everett Silvertips. Let's go to the Western Hockey League standings, and there are some uh, teams that are still perfect. Four of them, as a matter of fact, two in each conference. The Everett Silvertips and the Portland Winterhawks are both 3-0 in the Western Conference. And in the East, Winnipeg is 4-0, and the Red Deer Rebels are a perfect 3-0. Two teams still looking for their first point of the season, or first victory of the season, rather. Uh, that would be the Edmonton Oil Kings, who are 0-3-1 and currently sitting dead last in the Eastern Conference, now embarking on a road trip into the United States. They'll play the Spokane Chiefs tonight. Uh, being Friday, uh, and continue on from there. So a uh, always a difficult trip for uh, Edmonton. Historically, they've never done extremely well uh, on that road trip uh, through the United States, at least as far as I can remember. Uh, the other club who is uh, winless thus far, that be the Victoria Royals, who begin the season uh, perfect in the opposite direction, 0-5. No points yet for the Victoria Royals. I mentioned Edmonton is in Spokane tonight. The Royals are in Kamloops to take on the Blazers. So far, Kamloops has only played two games. They split it one and one to begin the year. And I think the only player they haven't got back yet is uh, Logan Stankoven. But I'm not 100% sure on that. I was trying to find a website somewhere that would list all the junior eligible players who are still away at NHL camps. Even if you want to include the 20-year-olds or guys who uh, really aren't expected back, uh, you could do that. At least it would give me something to go from but I have not been able to track down a, an individual list. I mean, I could try to get to each NHL website, go team by team, but it would be nice if there was just one list out there somewhere. If you know where that is, let me know, at TPS underscore Gee. Let's get to the stats leaders in the uh, WHL. Top point getter right now. With uh, He's played six games. That's Regina has played the most games in the WHL. But Connor Bedard leads the league in scoring. He has 11 points. Five of those are goals. Three members of the Kelowna Rockets are hot on his heels, including Adam Kidd, who has nine points out of the gate. Uh, Andrew Crystal, who is draft eligible this year. And Gabriel Sturch, is, uh, they're both closing in, keeping pace. They have eight points, respectively. And then Gabe Clausen, who uh, leads the league in goal scoring with seven. Those are all his points. No assist for Gabe Clausen. Um, he plays for the Portland Winterhawks. He has seven points. There are actually eight players who are tied with Clausen for fifth in league scoring uh, with seven points each. Let's jump over to the Ontario Hockey League and a small sample size, but uh, the leading scorers, most teams have played two or three games at this point. Uh, Coach Adelic of the Sudbury Wolves has seven points, and Connor Lockhart of Peterborough also with seven points. David Goyette with uh, Sudbury and Tucker Robertson of Peterborough are both tied for uh third, I guess, with six points each. Matvey Petrov of the North Bay Battalion, he has five points, as does a teammate and defenseman Ty Nelson, who was drafted by Seattle. Pavel Minchikov also drafted this past year. He has five points, and Leighton Moore of the Oshawa Generals also with five points. Full slate of games in the OHL. We, I do have an OHL guest coming up, so we'll leave the rest of the OHL to that segment. I also have a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League guest on the show this week, so we'll just touch on the leading scorers right now. I actually spoke with her on Tuesday, and there's been a few games since then across the league. But top scorers in the queue right now as I'm speaking with you, uh, it's a two-way tie between a couple of Sherbrooke Phoenix players. Justin Gill has 10 points, as does Ethan Goche. Those two teammates leading the league, Justin Fashon of uh, the BB Armada, has 9 points. 
Alexander Doucette from Valdor with eight, and William Provost with Valdor as well has seven points. Jordan Dume of the Halifax Mooseheads also with seven points. Big difference, he's only played two games. Everybody else I just mentioned has played five games. Could be a big year for Dume with the Mooseheads. Looking at the standings in the queue after a couple of weeks, now, except for the Maritime teams, and uh, that's something we touch on with my guest in uh, the Q segment today, but obviously because of Hurricane Fiona, uh, some of the teams out east uh, haven't played a full slate of games uh, into a couple of weeks into the season. Uh, but the undefeated teams right now, there's still two of them, and they are both from the east coast. So small sample sizes, but Halifax is 2-0, and and the Charlottetown Islanders uh, won the only game that they've been able to play thus far. Other teams out of the gate, pretty hot, though. Big Bay Camo with a 3-1 start. The Quebec Rampart with a 3-1 start as well. And in the Western Conference, it would be the Sherbrooke Phoenix, who are 4-0-1. Skipping below the border to the USHL. Also have a USHL guest coming up, so we'll just look at the standings. Two teams in the Eastern Conference uh, tied atop. Won't surprise anybody, but uh, one of them is the Chicago Steel, who are three and one to begin the year, and the NTDB program, also three and one to kick things off. Not sure how much of the of the four games has been played by the U18s and how many were played by the U17s. I suspect the U18s have played uh, most, if not all, four of those ones before they get going against their college opponents and uh, the international tournaments that they play in throughout the season. In the Western Conference is Tri-City, who is a 2-0, but tied in points with Fargo, Sioux Falls, and Lincoln, who all have four points. Top scorers in the USHL right now, a couple of guys with six points. That'd be Samuel Harris from Sioux Falls and his teammate Maddox Fleming, also with six points. Interestingly, Harris has five goals and one assist. Fleming has one goal and five assists. Six players are tied with five points right behind them. Uh, including Jack Harvey and Nick Moldenauer, teammates with Chicago, as well as Mick Thompson and Cameron Johnson uh, of Chicago, and uh, a pair of Lincoln Stars in Tanner Lutke and Mason Marcellus. Shifting gears to the North American Hockey League, and out of the 29 teams in the league, only one is still a perfect, unblemished record right now, and that's the Amarillo Wranglers, who are 6-0. and I believe they were 6-0 and this time last week, though, so maybe you haven't played a game for a little bit. They've actually been passed in the standings by New Mexico, but that's because New Mexico has played two more games than uh, Amarillo has. Third place, the Lone Star Brahmas actually have a better winning percentage than New Mexico, but they've only played seven games. Uh, It's a pretty tight race, though. Those three teams separated by one point in the South Division. Janesville and Fairbanks are tied with 14 points. That's at the top of the Midwest Division. Maryland has a, uh, a bit of a cushion ahead of the Northeast Generals leading them by four points and have played one fewer game. But the, the Philadelphia Rebels have only played seven games, so they, they have a lot of uh, ground to make up on both Maryland and uh, the Generals. And in the Central, you've got North Iowa sitting in first place with 12 points, Austin hot on their heels with 11. Two guys with 14 points leading the Nall in scoring right now. That'd be Christian, Christian Catalano from Maryland and uh, Dave Andrichuk. That's right. Dave Andrichuk from the Northeast Generals. All right, let's go to the CJHL, the uh, top 20. I won't go through the entire top 20, but some of the uh, standouts. Uh, Collingwood, who is uh, 9-0 right now and leading the OJHL, 
Uh, they still are ranked number one. They were ranked number one last week. No change at two. That's still the Steinbach Pistons. And Princeville is at number three. Battleford's jumps up from five to four. The Humboldt Broncos are now fifth. Summerside moves up five spots. They were 11th. Now they are a sixth. The Navingrads are seventh, followed by Milton, Miramichi, and the Toronto Junior Canadians are number 10. Spruce Grove is the top team out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, coming in at number 12. Brooks, who was suspiciously unranked last week, despite having the best record in the AJHL, they are now 14th. Those are the only two AJHL teams that made the top 20. Camrose is given an honorable mention. Uh, speaking of the AJHL, it is uh, Spruce Grove that has the top record in the league right now. The Bonneville Pontiacs are two victories behind them with one game in hand. The Lloyd Bobcats, uh, who started off really well, they've come back to the pack a bit. They sit third in the North Division, followed by Whitecourt and Sherwood Park, Drayton Valley, Fort McMurray, and Grand Prairie. Sitting in eighth in the south, uh, of course it's the Brooks Bandits, but Camrose only one point back, although the Bandits have a game in hand there. The Olds Grizzlies still playing well, 5-2-1 and one to begin the year after what was a disastrous uh, season last year. The Blackfalls Bulldogs, remember they were an expansion franchise last year. Well, they're sitting in fourth right now in the south, and a large reason for that is they have uh, the top scorer in the league right now in Brett Meerman who's a 20-year-old, but he's got 14 points in seven games this year for the Bulldogs. Liam Watkins from Spruce Grove is next. He's got 13 points, and Aiden Fink of the Brooks Bandits has 12 points. In the BCHL, there are two teams who are perfect uh, still at uh, a couple of weeks into the season. That'd be the Penticton Bees, who are 4-0, leading the Interior Division, and the Coastal Division has the Surrey Eagles uh, sitting in first place. They are 3-0, but... Cowichan and Nanaimo have the same amount of points. They've just got three and one records. You won't be surprised, but the top scorers in the BCHL, uh, mostly coming from the uh, Penticton Vs, including brothers Josh Nadeau and Bradley Nadeau, both of them committed to going to uh, Maine, the University of Maine, to play for the Black Bears. They lead the BCHL right now with 10 and 9 points, respectively. A teammate, Brett Moravec, is third with 8 points. Top-scoring defenseman, Josh Niedermeyer. He has seven points. Guess who for the Penticton Vs? Thinking about the World Junior A Challenge, which we haven't seen for a few years. The last two years, both been canceled. Uh, it is scheduled this year for December 11th to 18th in Cornwall, Ontario, where it's been supposed to have been played the last couple of years. Saw a report that, or a write-up uh, from Cornwall, in a local paper there online. There'll be two Canadian teams in the East and the West, which is normal, joined by three international entries to compete for gold. Usually it's six. One of them is uh, Russia. Uh, obviously Russia not going to be at the tournament this year, so that sounds like they're not going to replace Russia. They're just going to have a five-team tournament. I assume that'll be some sort of round robin. But the United States always does very well at this tournament. And then you might see a team like from the Czech Republic or Switzerland or something like that. The Swiss actually were starting to send their U-20 World Junior team and using this as sort of a tune-up for the World Junior Tournament. We'll see if that happens again. Uh, lastly, the NCAA gets going wholeheartedly this weekend. Let's get to the uh, USCHO Top 20 poll. 
The defending champion Denver Pioneers ranked number one, not unanimous, but for 41 first place votes out of 50. Second place goes to the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. They had six first place votes. Three other teams got first place votes, including North Dakota, who comes in at number three. Then you've got Minnesota Duluth and Minnesota State. Neither club had a first place vote. Quinnipiac did, though. At, they finish up in the poll at number six, and the Michigan Wolverines also earning a first place vote. They are ranked number seven. Then you have Northeastern, who is the highest ranked Hockey East team, followed by Boston University and St. Cloud coming in at number 10. 11 through 20 goes like this. Notre Dame, Harvard, Massachusetts, Ohio State, UMass Lowell, Providence at 16. Then you've got Clarkson, Western Michigan, Cornell, and rounding out the top 20 is Connecticut. Full slate of games this weekend in Atlantic Hockey. You have Army taking on RIT Hockey East. The game will be Northeastern against Vermont. Big 10 action. Wisconsin will play Ohio State. The Icebreaker Tournament is uh, being held in Colorado Springs. Maine will go against uh, Air Force, and Notre Dame will play Denver. A bunch of non-conference games this weekend. Lindenwood, which actually started their season last weekend against the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, well, they, they square off against Michigan this weekend. So pretty tough way to start your Division I uh, careers if you're the Lindenwood Lions. Uh, they were shut out in Game 1 last weekend against Minnesota, but they scored four goals against the Gophers in Game 2. Northern Michigan will play Colgate. Providence is hosting Sacred Heart. Michigan State welcomes Bowling Green to town. Uh, Quinnipiac will take on Boston College. Uh, Union against Connecticut. Minnesota and Minnesota State get together. Uh, St. Lawrence hosting Merrimack. Clarkson welcomes New Hampshire to town. Canisius will play Penn State. Mercyhurst on the road to take on the uh, engineers of RPI. Niagara goes to Omaha. Ferris State welcomes Michigan Tech. Holy Cross on the road, uh, starting at Ralph Engelstad against North Dakota. Arizona State will play at Bemidji State. St. Thomas at home against Alaska. And two more, Miami against UMass Lowell and uh, Colorado College squares off against the returning Alaska Anchorage Seawolves. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. You can pick up your order. First, you order it online. Go to troubledmonk.com shop. And during COVID, they were doing home deliveries, but uh, not anymore. So you can uh, place your order. Then if you're in Red Deer, you go to the tap room and pick it up. If you're in Edmonton, you go to the Bountiful Farmer's Market. And if you're in Calgary, you go to the Calgary Farmer's Market. I'm about due for a restocking of Troubled Monk. Some of my personal favorites, the Daycation Lager. Can never go wrong with the Bucktooth Belgian White and the Golden Gates. But maybe beer isn't your thing. Maybe you're more into spirits. Well, they've got the Adequate Vodka Soda. It's a lemon-lime flavor. It's terrific. You can also get the Epitaph Gin and Soda. Or maybe you just want soda. They've got root beer and orange and Saskatoon. As well as uh, ginger ale. And it's a, it's a unique tasting ginger ale. Although I see a note on the website as we speak right now. They're out of uh, stock on the ginger ale. All right, I got four guests for you this week, and here is the order that they're going to come at you. We're going to begin with an OHL preview. Brandon Caputo, who covers the Niagara Ice Dogs and uh, hosts their official podcast. He also does some color of the Ice Dogs games on the radio. He is going to lead off the show this week. From there, we're going to skip out to Halifax and speak with the new television play-by-play -play voice, of the Halifax Mooseheads when they're on East Link. 
Her name is Isabel Germain. She got to call. She got to call a uh, thrilling OT winner for uh, Halifax in their home opener. Enjoyed my conversation with her. Then we'll go down to look at the USHL. Kirsten Krull is my guest. She's going to take us through the USHL this year. She writes for the Rink Live, and we will wrap things up with a look, at especially keying in on Hockey East and the NCAA. Uh, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO, who you've heard here on the show many times over the last a decade and a half, always knocks it out of the park, and today is no exception. So we've got a great show for you. We're going to go to the OHL to begin things off. Brandon Caputo, he's up first. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Here's Perlini. Perlini loads it up, and he scores! Hey, it's Brendan Perlini from Niagara Ice Dogs, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Gee Flaming. You're goddamn right. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show. As we begin this week's episode, we're heading out to the Ontario Hockey League. But uh, a reminder, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but only available in Western Canada. Uh, but you can get it anywhere in the, out west by going to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, my first guest for this week, uh, we're uh, chatting about the Ontario Hockey League, which got going this past weekend. Uh, well, my uh, next guest is a part-time radio host with the uh, OHL Ice Dogs, well, radio analyst, does color like I do for the Oil Kings, and uh, he's also a uh, has a couple of podcasts of his own, including the Dog Pound podcast. Uh, Brandon Caputo, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Brandon, how are you? Thanks so much for having me again on the show, and um, it's funny because I was actually thinking about that beef jerky since the last time I was on the show, so um, <laughs> still waiting for them to be able to ship to Ontario, but it's uh, it's good to be back on, and um, yeah, so it's, uh, I do uh, road uh, color analyst uh, sometimes on Giant FM Country 89 with uh, the voice of the Ice Dogs, Ted Zeman, and then now our uh, Dog Pound podcast, now the official podcast of uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs, so that's big for us to be able to have that kind of exposure nice um so and then uh that's a part of the armchair gm sports network so um and uh <laughs> do a lot of uh, a couple other things as well but uh but i don't want to take up the whole time just talking about what i do <laughs> but uh, you can follow me follow the stuff that we do on twitter um at dog pound podcast and uh, at armchair gm pod and check out our youtube page and wherever you get your podcasts at we are available and uh, audio fantastic all right well let's get right into uh, what we've seen here so far early in the ohl season and and how much it might conflict with what we were expecting uh, for the ohl season this year it's very early not everybody well how many teams are still without some guys who are away at nhl camps yeah i mean there there's a few guys that are still away but for the most part this is this, right now the rosters are what the rosters are going to be um we had a few just come back this week like brendan Othman 
uh, just came back to the, the Flint Firebirds. He was up with the New York Rangers. Right. Wyatt Johnston is back with the the, um, the Windsor Spitfires up with Dallas. Uh, Josh Bloom's back from his stint with Saginaw. He's now the captain of the Saginaw Spirit. So uh, a few guys that have finally uh, trickled through. But for the most part, these are what the rosters are going to be unless uh, – Unless we see Shane Wright come back to Kingston, which I think it's highly unlikely at this point how well he's doing with the Seattle Kraken. And if Mason McTavish goes back uh, from the Anaheim Ducks to the Peterborough Pete, I'd be very shocked at that because I think he's going to be a big part of the Ducks this year. Agreed. I don't think uh, there's much left in the OHL for him uh, to accomplish this year. And played How many teams did he play for last year? I mean, it was crazy. I think it was six or seven, and I even got confused. I said Peterborough. He's on Hamilton now because he's been on so many teams I can't even think now, but he was on the uh, – the champion, the OHL champion, Hamilton yep. Bulldogs. So if he does, if he does go back from Anaheim, that's where he would go, and I would assume Hamilton would get a be welcoming that big boost into their lineup if he came back. I would think. All right. Well, the I guess the the breaking news right now, the lead story is the Niagara Ice Dogs sitting in first place in the Central Division, and I don't know how many people are expecting that to last, but they got to be pretty happy with the start to the year. Absolutely. I mean, you bring in the new ownership group with Darren Dobler. The new head coach, Daniel Fitzgerald, uh, coming from the Brantford 99ers, the OJHL. And so far through the first week, it's been very impressive. They picked up five or six points, and they took points from two teams that are projected to be in the top ten if you looked at the CHL power rankings for the preseason in the Mississauga Steelheads and the Flint Firebirds. They picked up three out of the four points against those two teams. Uh, Guelph is the other Ontario Hockey League team that's in those uh, top ten power rankings. So, if you're the Niagara Ice Dogs, you're very pleased with uh, what you've seen so far. And again, last year was uh, definitely rough in, in many aspects, but mm-hmm. it looks like they're trying to build a, a new culture there in Niagara. And uh, Darren DeDobler has not been shy to make a lot of moves. As you can see, uh, they've, <laughs> they've traded away and acquired a lot of draft picks and a lot of players. So I think it's probably the most movement we've ever seen from a team in an offseason. But uh, he wants to put his stamp on this team and make them into a competitive team right away. And speaking with him, he also said that the Ice Dogs and Niagara will be very aggressive in their bid for the CHL Memorial Cup when it does come back to Ontario in 2023-24 and said that they needed to be competitive or else they would not the league would not uh, consider them so that's yeah. what his main goal is at the moment. Well, that seems I mean that's next year. This year it's in Kamloops and next year he's talking about uh, trying to uh, to host uh, what are the expectations for the, the the Ice Dogs then this year is it is it too hard to tell because of how aggressive they're being? I know all the preseason rankings and things and predictions I saw didn't really tout the Ice Dogs as being all that good this year. I don't know. Is that fair, or do you think those predictions are off? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a mixed bag. Um, to, to be honest with you, there's been people that have been saying that the, there's been too much movement and, you know, why are they giving up so much uh, for this year? But I look at the other hand, and they've picked up some very top-end players from some really good winning programs that they are trying to to get back into. You pick up guys like Squally Zito, Matthew Pappas, David Jesus. I mean, these are all guys from playoff teams and teams that went deep in the playoffs, including Nathan Rebo with the Windsor Spitfires, who's been named an assistant captain of the club. So I look at the Niagara Ice Dogs, and I think that, you know, they they have their team is new, but I think that they're trying to win and they're trying to be competitive right away and trying to build back into uh, relevancy here in the Ontario Hockey League because it's been two really down years for the Ice Dogs and uh, this community and fan base is uh, one of the best in the league and is uh, happy and, and ready to embrace another winner here in Niagara. Does a little adversity off the ice, you know, with previous ownership and all that, does that sort of almost become a rallying point for the team now this year under new ownership and, you know, the group that's here now? Maybe the, maybe some of these preseason rankings are based more on kind of the off-ice 
uh, headache that's going on around this, like a, like a cloud, kind of like what Flint went through five or six years ago. But is it something that the ice dogs of today can sort of rally around? Oh, absolutely, and and it's. I think a lot of them have uh, have a lot to a uh, lot to prove. Big chips on their shoulders. Mm. Uh, some of them were projected to be drafted in the NHL draft, and not one ice dog player was picked in the NHL draft. Uh, most notably, Panofemis, who uh, was their first round pick in 2020. He was projected to be an NHL drafted player. He went to the draft and, and went undrafted, and he came back and he's told us that he's looking for a big season and he wants to prove to everybody that he should have been drafted. And the Toronto Maple Leafs had him at their uh, development camp for a while. And Aiden Castle went to the Minnesota Wild Camp. Robin Denizio had a, a strong showing for Team Switzerland at the World Juniors this past summer. So they've got some top-end players. And then you bring in a guy like Pasquale Zito, who's a draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings. They've got a nice core of players, and they they believe more than anybody else that they can compete this year. It's a very uh, good group, and it's a very um, they're a very positive group that uh, really has a lot of confidence right now, especially after the way they played this week. Brandon Caputo is my guest who covers the Niagara Ice Dogs in the OHL. Uh, when uh, Sam Dickinson doesn't report to the team and they end up having to move him, optically doesn't look great where there's a high-profile player who doesn't want to come and play for you. But they make out pretty well in that trade, don't they? I mean, they got a, a, a really good haul of picks. You can't trade first rounders in the OHL, uh, but they got a lot of picks outside of the first round. Yeah, for sure, Guy. And it's it's unfortunate because you can't trade first round picks in, in the Ontario Hockey League for the most part. So you have to you see a lot of second and third round picks being moved, and mm-hmm. they get a good haul for Sam Dickinson. Who, speaking to the general manager Darren Dobler, they they would, he did not want to meet with their representation. Uh, so it was Sam's decision not to want to come to Niagara, and they had to do their best to kind of accommodate that and try to find a landing spot for him. They're going to get a, comp- a compensatory first-round pick at fifth overall next season, and then they pick up a bunch of uh, picks from the London Knights, of course, who are one of the, you know, year in, year out, one of the uh, top teams in the Ontario Hockey League that produces top-end NHL talent. So they're really happy to get Sam Dickinson into their lineup, and Niagara made good with what they could because – at the end of the day, they had a player that didn't want to play for their team, and they end up with a fifth overall pick and a, and a good haul of draft picks that they've. some of them they've flipped and moved around, but they've been able to trade a lot of players and get a lot of draft picks back, and Darren DeDobler has this cupboard stocked with uh, whatever kind of area uh, that he wants to improve his team in going forward into the future. Brian, I'm going to ask you about individual players uh, in the league that we should watch for in big seasons, whether it's you know Wyatt Johnston of this year, if it's not Wyatt Johnston again. But first, let's talk about the teams, and who are the teams that are predicted to be really strong this year across the league, and, and maybe we can start in the Central Division or in, or in that conference uh, just in general. The Central Division, it looks like it's going to be the Mississauga Steelheads uh, at the moment. Uh, they haven't gotten off to the greatest start right now. I mean, they're 1-1 they're one one through two games. Uh, but they've they've got some highly touted players. You look at Luca Del Bellabaluz and Ethan Del Mastro, who, uh, as of the game on Thursday against Niagara, were still out of the lineup because they were still uh, up at NHL camps. And then you've got Owen Beck, who is a standout for the Montreal Canadiens at the moment. So I think if they get those three guys back in the lineup, uh, they will be a, uh, a team forced to be reckoned with in the Central Division. Uh, and they were actually picked in the OHL's media preseason poll 56% uh, to win the a central division this year uh, with the honorable mention going to the Barry Colts, which the Barry Colts, they've got their own NHL talent. They've got Ethan Cardwell, who I think is bound for a breakout season uh, draft pick of the San Jose Sharks. And as well, their, uh, their top player is Brant Clark, who was a top 10 pick of the 
Los Angeles Kings. So if they're able to uh, really get going under longtime head coach Marty Williamson, I think the Barry Colts will have something to say in this division as well. Uh, as far as the other teams go, Sudbury and Niagara are two up-and-coming teams that finished near the bottom last year. So I think those two teams are still going to be very competitive, and they have a lot of firepower, as we've seen so far, uh, to at least put some goals up on the board and make it competitive in this division. I know Sudbury, I mean, they've got some pretty young talent there. I mean, uh, guys that are expected to be fairly high uh, picks in the draft this year, but uh, might not be their year just yet. It's still a development year for the uh, Sudbury Wolves, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it, I think they're still growing. I think they're they've got a good nucleus, especially on the forward group. Uh, they brought in an import goalie, so I'm, I'm inter. Sorry, um, they brought in a new goaltender, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they go. Mississauga's running with a uh, a new import goaltender, so we'll see how that kind of affects them. Uh, but uh, you're right about the Sudbury Wolves. Quentin Musty is somebody to look out for. He was the first overall pick in last year's OHL draft, so he's a guy uh, to look forward to. And David Goyette was a standout rookie last year in the league. Right. Uh, he was actually drafted, I believe, by the Seattle Kraken. So uh, the Kraken definitely have some scouts here in Ontario because I believe half their draft uh, was from the Ontario Hockey League. So uh, they definitely value the talent out here. And again, the other team in the division, the North Bay Battalion, uh, they've just seems like they've lost. Uh, a lot of their top-end talent that helped them uh, be so great last year and make it to the second round of the playoffs. So we'll kind of have to see how big of a step back they take. I know Matvey Petrov had a really good year for North Bay. He's an Oiler prospect. I'm here in Edmonton, so there was some buzz about him. Uh, but he's been sent back. Mm-hmm. Is he a guy you think maybe doesn't end the year in North Bay and he gets traded to a, a contender? I could definitely see that, especially now that they lose Brennan Coe, who was, uh, the, they had very good chemistry together with Kyle Jackson. That whole line, uh, really catapulted them, uh, to the success that they had last year. But Matt Bay Petrov, uh, coming in as an import player was more than I think North Bay could have asked for as the top import pick in, uh, in 2020. So I think he's a guy that if he gets off to a great start and win some games, they can either, you know, trade away some draft picks to try to help him out or they, make a big trade for him and try to rebuild their roster. Because as you know, in junior hockey, there's only so much of a shelf life you have. And mm-hmm. if you go for it a couple of years, you give up a lot of draft picks. You're going to have to recoup those at some point. So I think Matt Bay Petrov will be uh, a valuable piece for whoever, uh, whatever team he's on to kind of go for an Ontario Hockey League championship run. All right. Are there four or five teams at this point, or at least going into the season that, uh, that seem to be all right. If there's going to be a team that's going out to, to Kamloops to play in the Memorial cup, it's going to be one of, you know, these five teams. Are Is there sort of an upper echelon already? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I also think the Guelph Storm, who we haven't really seen up uh, yet in the, as far as uh, the Eastern Conference goes, uh, just because we haven't seen the Western Conference in a couple of seasons, uh, the Guelph Storm are a team to look out for, and I look forward to being able to watch them uh, this year. And it's unfortunate their new head coach, Scotty Walker, the former NHLer, is actually taking uh, taking a leave of absence due to some health uh, health concerns at the moment. So he's actually stepping away from the team. But uh, they're, the Guelph Storm are, are one of the teams ranked in the CHL Top 10 Power Rankings. I think they're really poised for a good run this year. I think the London Knights are a team to watch out for as they uh, kind of had a down year for them, which was you know, losing in the first round of the playoffs, which is a, <laughs> would be a, it's a down year for them. But... It would be a good year for a lot of other teams in the league. And um, <laughs> I think as far as you know, the, the West Division goes, the Saginaw Spirit are on their way up. I don't think that they're there yet. Uh, but the Flint Firebirds and the Windsor Spitfires are two teams I think that will be battling it out there uh, in the West Division just because they're just so deep from top to bottom. And with Wyatt Johnston back, that's a, 
that's a game breaker for uh, the Windsor Spitfires. But uh, Saginaw is a team to watch out for just because they were the, they had the first overall pick in this last year's draft. They were able to get the exceptional status player of Michael Misa, who was granted the, that status into the league. If you know uh, anything about that, it's what players like Shane Wright, Sidney Crosby, uh, Connor Mc, or, sorry, Connor McDavid, um, and uh, Shane Wright and John Tavares uh, have been granted that status in the past. So he's, uh, he looks like he's going to be a special player to watch out for, Michael Misa of the Saginaw Spirit. Uh, again, only 15 years old, but we'll see how he develops in the next couple of years and if he's going to be the top-end NHL draft pick. Well, you just got to watch him in Saginaw. Did he make an impression on you in that one game? Yeah, he did. He actually got an assist in that game. He, uh, the Ice Dogs played him very well. They had a good game plan going in, uh, trying to play the body on him a few times. Uh, uh, shake shook him up a little bit, but the night before was actually quite the game. The Saginaw Spirit actually put up ten goals against the Guelph Storm the night right. before in their home opener. So uh, he actually uh, scored in that game, and uh, actually I think he picked up two goals in that game. So he looked uh, he looked good from his first OHL game and getting his first two OHL goals out of the way. He's going to be a star, but again, he's only 15 years old, so we got to give him some time to develop. But under new captain Josh Bloom, who's uh, signed by the Buffalo Sabres and almost made the team, uh, he's back now and he's looking forward, after speaking with him, uh, to having that team kind of continue to grow because them, along with the Ice Dogs, finished last in their respective conferences last year. Brandon, last year it was, uh, I believe, Wyatt Johnston that led the league in scoring. Should we assume he's back at the top again this year, or uh, there's enough changes with uh, Windsor that it might be a little bit different for him this year? And if it's not him, who do you think leads the league in scoring? Well, um, I, I'm going to have to uh, give you a rain check on that one, okay. because I, I don't I don't know if uh, Shane Wright's going to be back or not. Um, if he's going to be back with the, the Kingston Frontenacs, um, I would definitely put him up up there. But if if he stays with Seattle, then I can I can see a guy like Brendan Offen and Flint, who was uh, with the up with the New York Rangers. He's a guy that I would look at. Um, he actually finished uh, finished first in the uh, poll as well from the league. He had. If I can just pull it up here, 97 points in 66 games with Flint last year. Mm. And uh, they're poised to have another deep run. Uh, I would also like Wyatt Johnston because why would you not? The, the guy was the most outstanding player in the, all of the Canadian Hockey League last year and uh, led, uh, led the OHL in points by, by a pretty wide margin. So um, I, would, I would look at a couple of those guys uh, to really kind of take the league and, and lead the league in points, but that doesn't... Uh, don't leave, don't count out Sasha Pasha from the Wolf Storm. He's also up there on the preseason pool and uh, a guy to look for as well. All right, he's got a pretty good supporting cast there in Guelph. Uh, Brandon, before I let you go, is there, uh, you know, I mentioned that there was four or five teams that you think are in the running, but if you put your money down, who's the best team in the OHL this year that's going to end up going to the Memorial Cup? Well, I, I think the Hamilton Bulldogs are being severely, severely disrespected in these polls right now. I know that they did lose a few players. Um, and if Mason McTavish doesn't come back, that's obviously going to be a big loss for them. Uh, he could lead the, the, the OHL in points uh, as well from your last question if he sure. comes back, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. But uh, they still got Logan Morrison. They still got Avery Hayes, Ryan Humphrey. That was their top line that was so great last year. They've got you know a good amount of their team coming back. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw the Hamilton Bulldogs. Uh, competing again this year for the OHL championship, but um, wow. as far as who you know will win the league, uh, I mean, it's it's tough to say right now. But I would like to go. Oh man, 
I'll have to go with the Guelph Storm right now. But again, losing their head coach, I'm not sure how that's going to affect things for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't count out the uh, the Windsor Spitfires either under uh, head coach Mark Savard. We obviously know what uh, what type of player he was in the NHL and how he's developed some of those guys. So I think we'll see Hamilton and Windsor back up there again this year. But uh, watch out for teams like Flint, Guelph, and um, maybe even the London Knights, as much as I hate to say that. Uh, uh, being in Niagara and the London Knights knocked us out in the in the uh, OHL championship in the, the 2012 and 2016, our only appearances there. Great stuff. Brandon, what do you guys have coming up on the next uh, edition of the Dog Pound podcast, the official podcast of the uh, of the Saginaw Spirit, of the Niagara Ice Dog? <laughs> yeah, I know Saginaw and Flint were great this week, but uh, no, we're going to have some player interviews coming up. We're doing some stuff at the rink. We've already done uh, in-person interviews at the rink with uh, the GM, uh, Darren Dobler and head coach Daniel Fitzgerald. We're looking to do a lot of stuff uh, at the rink, uh, a lot of uh, quick stuff, a lot of post-game stuff so with players and uh, just continuing to kind of grow our brand and, and continuing to uh, get our name out there with the Dog Pound Podcast. Make sure you go and check that out at Dog Pound Podcast and check out our um, our podcast and our YouTube uh, page at Armchair GM Sports Network. Uh, continuing to build our junior hockey content, and I appreciate the content that you put out because uh, it uh, it's definitely something that I think is important for us play us people in people in the media and, and hockey fans to kind of see these junior players coming up and, and what to expect. Uh, I think what, what you do is uh, is great as well. Well, thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. And flattery gets you everywhere. I'll call you uh, later on again this season. How about that? Sounds good. Appreciate it, sir. And uh, thanks for having me on once again. There is Brandon Caputo from uh, Dog Pound Podcast, the official podcast of the Niagara Ice Dogs. wonder if that's a trend we start seeing uh, a lot more. Uh, than we have up to this point with teams having their own uh, podcasts. Junior teams, I mean. The Ice Dogs off to a terrific start, despite the uh, naysayers out there who thought maybe they would not be a good team uh, this season. I almost wonder if, you know, with the way things ended before the sale and that there had to be a sale of the team, if there was just so much noise happening off the ice, if people outside looking in, like me, we're thinking, uh, it's just chaos there. What a mess. Uh. But actually there, inside the room, everything is fine. I don't know. I'm not there. But uh, the way Brandon uh, explained it, maybe that is something. I use the term rallying a point. A rallying point. Something everybody can kind of get behind. Us against the world type thing. It seems, early on, it's working for the Ice Dogs. Can they keep it going? We'll find out. Next up on the Pipeline Show, we're heading out to the queue and into the Maritime region. Obviously, just hammered last week by... Hurricane Fiona. Games were postponed, but we did finally get into some action here last weekend. And one of those games was in Halifax, an OT thriller between Halifax and Cape Breton. And calling that game on Eastlink is a new voice of the Halifax Mooseheads. That's Isabel Germain. Let's meet Isabel next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with a one from Yer, pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, Lafreniere works in, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. 
The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh, that's greasy. That's really greasy. Yeah, that's greasy. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We just uh, had the OHL preview, and we're going to head out to the queue and uh, talk a little Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as well. But a reminder, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, but you can get it anywhere in Western Canada. Unfortunately, you can't get it all the way out in Halifax, where we're headed next. Is uh, I'm pleased to be joined by the new broadcast voice of the Halifax Mooseheads on Eastlink. That's Isabel Germain. Uh, Isabel, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks for having me. We're good. Uh, just recovering from the hurricane, but uh, all is well. I was going to ask you about that. Obviously, the, the start of the season for the teams in the Maritimes uh, delayed because of that. Uh, I saw the destruction on TV and things like that, but uh, might not do it justice. What's the situation where you are? We got pretty lucky here just where I am. Uh, the core of Halifax wasn't too, too damaged. A lot of trees down. Um, but not the devastation that you would probably be seeing on TV in Cape Breton, mm-hmm. uh, PEI, and, and Newfoundland. Um, they're still without power in Cape Breton and PEI right now. So wow. um, we we hope they get it back this weekend. And I know it's been a, a tough couple weeks for the Cape Breton Eagles, especially. Um, Halifax, not too much of disruption. They lost about a weekend of practice, but um, Cape Breton has been uh, bouncing around trying to find rink with ice and power. Well, in the big picture, hockey doesn't matter a whole lot, but from a hockey perspective, is what's happening still in those places affecting the scheduling? Yeah, we've had, uh, I believe it's six or seven reschedules right now. Um, Cape Breton, they've uh, essentially rescheduled their season opener to, I believe it was three weeks out from the date of the hurricane. So they were supposed to have their home opener that weekend. They now won't be home for a total of three weeks. Um, they're keeping them on the road as long as possible. They've got to redo the ice. The ice is completely melted. Obviously they've been without power for 13 days now. So, um, they've got to redo that, uh, at center 200, um, similar story in, in Charlottetown where they'll, they lost all their ice, had to start fresh. Um, so they're kind of keeping both teams on the road to start and they've rescheduled a lot of those dates for March. So, um, you'll notice in the standings we're we're a little bit lower in games played, mm-hmm. uh, but they'll catch up at the end of the year when uh, hopefully they get their their skating legs under them. So it might be beneficial. Well, I guess if there's not even a silver lining, that's a bad way of putting it. But with the all the shutdowns and startup and rescheduling with we've everybody's experienced over the last couple of years, maybe it's a way these teams can kind of overcome uh, some challenges uh, in the long term because they've kind of gotten used to having to reschedule things over the last couple of years. Is that right? Oh, if, if there's anything that you can describe the Cape Breton Eagles as, is it's resilience. Uh, they had the most, uh, well, they're, they're affected the most by COVID. They've been the most affected by this hurricane. They're a, a minimum of a five-hour drive from their closest competition, which would be us here in Halifax. So 
Um, they're used to being on the road. They're used to being on that bus. But, you know, that team's been through a lot, and I think they, they probably would have wished for an easier start to 2022. But um, if anybody got to see the game they played on Saturday, they came into that building, 8,000 fans almost in Halifax, and they put on a show. So it doesn't seem to be affecting them too much right now. I think those kids are just eager to uh, to get on the ice. All right. Well, all the best to uh, the players and the, the families and all the people, all the fans in those markets uh, for sure. Let's talk about the hockey as I'm joined by Isabel Germain, the uh, new play-by-play voice of the Halifax Mooseheads uh, on East Link. Uh, you got to call the pretty exciting game, the home opener for the uh, the Mooseheads last week. Uh, what was that, Friday night? And it was an overtime thriller against uh, the Cape Breton Eagles. And uh, that was an awesome sounding game. I was able to catch the highlights. Might not, again, like I said, with the uh, news coverage of the uh, of the hurricane, might not do it justice to see it on TV and just the highlight package. It seemed like the crowd was into that one. Really exciting contest. Oh, it, was, it couldn't have asked for a better home opener for us. I, I know everybody here in Halifax was eager to get back into that rink. Obviously, our COVID protocols were very strict here in Atlantic Canada and, and Nova Scotia in particular for um, the majority of COVID. So we haven't had a game uh, with fans to that extent uh, in about three years. So this was the largest crowd Halifax has seen since 2019. Um, we had 7,477 in attendance, um, which is incredible. And, you know, again, for Cape Breton to come in and play the way that they did, nine goals between the two teams and push it to overtime, it, it was an incredible start to the season. What are the expectations for the Mooseheads this year? I've seen some preseason polls that say they, they, they might be the, the top team in the division. Do you think that's uh, fair? I think it is. I, I think they kind of they got lucky in terms of when they chose to start their rebuild. Um, a couple of years ago, they, they had a really good team, decided to rebuild once those that kind of core group graduated. Um, and their rebuild happened to be in COVID. So you didn't really see the effect in the standings. You didn't really see the effect in in play, just where they weren't playing many games. I mean, Cape Breton and Halifax broke a record in 2020 for how many games they played against each other. I believe they played 26 games That's that crazy. year. That's crazy. Um, so the, the most ever in the history of two teams playing each other in one season. So it, it really wasn't a season that meant much to them. So it was it was a good time to rebuild. They now think they have a core team that they can rely on. You know, they lost their captain uh, to the pro ranks, but Jordan Dume coming off of a 109-point season, he is incredible to watch. Um, He can pass the puck. He sees the ice so well, and he's so dangerous no matter where he is. They'll be a little hurt by the fact that Zachary LaRue is is not ready to play and probably won't be ready to play for the next couple months. Um, Picked up an injury at his NHL camp. So that's maybe the big hurt, um, but their core group, they've picked up some really good players in Marcus Vitacek, um, Matthew Catafor. There's there's a lot of, of good guys who have NHL experience um, coming back from training camp. And I think the Halifax Moose said this is the year that they should win the Maritime Division at least. I was going to ask about LaRue because I noticed he didn't play on Friday and I wasn't sure. I hadn't heard if he'd uh, been hurt in Nashville's camp or not. That's just awful luck for him because I know he was in and out of the lineup last year, part of it because he was suspended quite often, but uh, also because of injuries again. <laughs> and uh, That it just seems like he, this guy can't buy a break right now, or at least maybe that's a poor choice of words too because I don't know what the injury is. No, I, I agree. You know, it's it's bad timing. You're coming off of a high. And I think we saw in that game on Saturday that, you know, the guys who came back from training camp, a silver lining, I guess, that, you know, the game being delayed a week, uh, got both of the teams, some of their top players back, just those extra few days they got released. 
Um, I believe the last player got released on Wednesday. So um, they were able to fly home and, and play in the game. And unfortunately, we didn't find out until game time that LaRue wasn't going to play. And um, we've since heard that it's it's a, a longer-term injury. I don't think it'll keep him out past Christmas. But um, obviously something serious that did happen at camp. We're not sure where or how. But um, definitely a not a great way for him to start his season, not how he would have wanted to come back from the Predators. Isabel Germain, uh, the voice of the Halifax Mooseheads on the East Link, my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we're looking at the queue. Now we're going to focus on the Maritime Division. I know uh, you haven't really seen a whole lot of the, the rest of the uh, the league just yet. So uh, outside of Halifax, if it's not the Mooseheads who are the, the favorites for the division, who's next? I know Charlottetown had a really good year, but how much did they lose? How much to, uh, of a step back do they take this year? Well, the rest of the division has taken quite a hit. Um, you know, Charlottetown and St. John putting a lot uh, a lot of their eggs in, in one basket last year, I guess we can say. Mm-hmm. Um, Cape Breton, we've talked about, they're kind of still in their rebuild. Um, they got they almost cleaned house all summer long. Charlottetown lost some of their best players. Uh, St. John, they, almost, they only have about two or three guys, I believe, from that Memorial Cup team left. So I think Acadie Bathurst is always a team that you have to fear. They have such a, a good organization, uh, lots of history in New Brunswick and northern New Brunswick there. Um, the Moncton Wildcats could be a surprise, but I, I think for the Halifax Mooseheads, if there's there's any luck involved in this, again, their rebuild just came at the right time. And I, I think the other teams in this division are are trying to go through those rebuilds in this year. Um, but I think Acadie Bathurst would maybe be my second um, pick. Okay. And the surprise in there could be Moncton. Uh, I wanted to ask about your call because uh, I, I was again I had never heard you call a game before until I saw the highlights of uh, Friday night's game. I don't know uh, what most broadcasters do. I know my partner with the Edmonton Oil Kings broadcast. He'll practice his, uh, you know, he shoots, he scores, or however he wants to announce a goal. Uh, for you, I I couldn't pick up if there was, you know, a go to for you or not because sometimes it was he shoots, he scores. Sometimes it was, and it's in. What do you like to do? Have, are, you, are you one that rehearses and practices it before you hit the air? No, I think I'll have to come up with a saying. You're not the first person to have mentioned if I have a saying or not. But, oh, really? Um, no, this was my, my first time, a little history on me, I guess. I was doing play-by-play um, back in 2015, 2016. I, I, was, I was working for a different company uh, through our AUS system here, so I was heavily involved in university hockey. I, I had played and uh, got injured and was lucky enough that I met someone who gave me an opportunity in broadcasting and um, left that uh, after a tragedy and, and kind of walked away from, from broadcasting a little bit um, to deal with that tragedy. And, and I just, with COVID and, and everything that kind of happened in between, it's been, it's been about six years mm-hmm. since I've done play by play. So I've, I've jumped on broadcast as a color analyst Um in the last couple of years, just with things coming and going and COVID canceling things and bringing things back at different times and people being available and whatnot. So um, I've gotten my feet wet, I guess, with, with color analysts, but that was my first play-by-play broadcast in six years. So, um, and I unfortunately have a full-time job that keeps me quite busy. So I, I didn't have too much time to practice the, uh, the one-liners, but right. I'll uh, I'll get practicing and I'll get better throughout the season. I promise. I'm curious because I do color here for the uh, the WHL team, the uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings, and people ask me if I if I think I could do play by play, and I always said, no, I think color is easier because play by play you got to think on your feet and you got to describe everything so accurately that you don't have time to mess up. You've done both. <laughs> What's the difference in your opinion? 
I would agree with that. I think if you're knowledgeable in the sport, you're passionate about the sport, um, you know, you take the time to know the players and, and understand the players. I think a lot of people are looking for that connection now. We're such a social media world. Uh, we're intruding in people's lives uh, every minute of every day when you think about it uh, with the way social media has become. So we're so interested in that aspect. I think that's where I found my success on the female side of things um, was just knowing their stories outside of hockey and knowing what they were up to outside of the rink and just being able to have a conversation about that, um, knowing the rules and kind of explaining hockey, not in a, a condescending way, but just in a way that if, if someone's partner or someone who's never watched hockey or doesn't know much about hockey, uh, you know, happens to be watching that day, you can kind of understand and follow the play a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I think color comes a little bit more naturally if, if you have that passion where to your point, play by play is a lot of coming up with one liners and coming up with, <laughs> things on your feet and you know in that game there were a couple goals that were so surprising from our our vantage point there were a few that we just couldn't see that they were in so those are the calls that I I'm yelling it's in because I'm I'm realizing that the puck had crossed the line and and I'm realizing after the fact and really after the crowd had found it so I see um I I definitely think play-by-play is is more difficult especially for a tv broadcast um, I've never been on a full production TV broadcast as play by play. So, mm. you know, throwing to commercial and doing your promo reads and having people in your ear and not losing focus when people are talking to you. It's uh it's a whole different beast. Well, that's awesome. I, I really appreciate the, your time today. Uh, when is the next game that'll be on East link that you're calling? We got our next game Friday night at 7 PM. It's uh, the Victoriaville Tigers who are in town facing off against the Halifax Mooseheads. All right. So is that available across the country? Is that what's uh, available through the CHL uh, subscription service? Unfortunately, it's only available to Eastlink customers here in Atlantic Canada. Um, so everybody will have to move to Nova Scotia and purchase <laughs> Eastlink uh, as their cable and, and internet provider. All right, that's a deal. I'm I'm from New Brunswick originally myself, so I was just out there a couple of weeks ago. I'd love to go back. It's a deal. Sounds good. We'll, we'll welcome you back anytime. Isabel, great to uh, great to meet you over the phone like this, and uh, I look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you so much. That was Isabel Germain, who is the uh, new play-by-play voice of the Halifax Mooseheads on Eastlink, which unfortunately it sounds like it's uh, only available out on the East Coast. I guess if you buy the CHL package and you're listening to the uh, uh, Mooseheads game or watching it online, maybe you're getting the radio uh, broadcast, which is what you would get You know, if you were watching a, an Oil King game online. You'd get Andrew and I uh, if it's a home game. Uh, so maybe that's what it is out there too. But if you're watching TV out there and not the CHL package, then I guess you're getting Eastlink. Not sure exactly if that's uh, the case or not, but unfortunate that uh, we can't watch uh, the games with her uh, calling them. That would be awesome. Second, uh, I think it's the second female broadcaster, play-by-play broadcaster that I've had on the show. Last year we had Ashley Chase on, who was uh, calling games for the uh, St. Cloud uh, Norseman in the uh, NAHL. I think she is actually relocated. I think she's doing the uh, Lone Star Brahmas this year in the same league, uh, but down in Texas. Maybe we'll catch up with Ashley again this year, but uh, great. I-, I-, I think it's fantastic. I hope that... that I hope that we hear more women uh, broadcasting hockey games. I think it's it just sounds great. It sounds different. It's nice to have a change, uh, and they have uh, an equally valid perspective, and she calls it a great game. So I know there'll be some old-school dinosaurs who don't like it, don't think women should be calling men's sports, but, uh, yeah, get over it. Up next, uh, another female in the biz is going to join us. We've had Kirsten Krull on the show before, and she's back again to uh, talk about the USHL. 
We'll do that next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Back off to the near side. It comes for Winters. Down low, takes the return. Winters cross ring. Shot goal. Ingram again. Hey, this is Adam Ingram from the Youngstown Phantoms, and this is the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to dip uh, south of the border, south of the Canadian border, that is, as we uh, are going to chat a little USHL hockey. But uh, a reminder that The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Go to W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada if you order it off their website. All right, the United States Hockey League uh, began play a couple of weekends ago. And to uh, update us on how things have started to unfold is uh, Kirsten Kroll once again from The Rink Live. Uh, Kirsten, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks again for having me back on. Uh, It's a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you again. And I know it was perfect timing because I just went to therinklive.com. And uh, lo and behold, there's the power rankings uh, for the USHL, which is perfect timing for me. Any surprises at this uh, point of the season? I mean, it's very early in, uh, and maybe things are sort of out of the gate a little bit differently than we expected, but anything drastic, in your opinion? Um, You know, I would say the only thing that has surprised me early on, granted, there was only two games played, because I don't know if you had noticed or anyone else over the weekend, there was a lot of games that have been postponed um, just due to from what I hear, some ice conditions. So there was only a handful of USHL games that were actually played over the weekend. Mm -hmm. So there's only a couple of teams still that have only played those two games out in Pittsburgh. But I would say based on the handful of games that we've seen, the biggest surprise is that Sioux City wasn't able to pick up a win in Pittsburgh. And so they're the only team that's currently 0-2 on the season. So for the defending Clark Cup champs, I know they've got a new head coach, new general manager, you know, the, the turnover with players each and every year, but I still find it a little surprising out in Pittsburgh they got swept. Yeah, you don't expect the defending champs to be uh, last place right now. I guess that happens uh, from time to time. You were out in Pittsburgh. Uh, that event, it just seems to be growing in popularity, and, and certainly it's so important for the uh, the uh, college recruiters to get there and watch the players uh, firsthand. Do you find that it's uh, it seems to be growing with spectators as well? Oh, absolutely. When I was out there, I mean, the place is packed. I, it was hard to even kind of walk around, not only because of the fans that were there, and which was cool to see kind of all of these jerseys from all over the place representing all of the different USHL teams out in Pittsburgh. But, I mean, it, you look in the stands, especially for that Saturday night game, uh, NTDP taking on the Lancers. I mean, it was standing room only, and even standing room, it was packed. So, mm-hmm. And then, it, you know, same thing goes for the very first game of, that whole event it was green bay and sioux city and once again i mean i worked my way in the rink and i couldn't even find a place to stand so (laughs) it was it was crazy but it was really good numbers out there 
All right. Well, if we go to the uh, the power rankings and the standings in the league, I guess uh, it's not a surprise to see Chicago and Tri City, uh, who are in first place in their respective conferences, coming in as the number one and number two team uh, in your power rankings. And we're kind of getting used to this. I mean, it's it seems to be every year here in the last five or six seasons that Chicago is number one or number two. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that they're back in the top spot once again, should we? You know, I, I wouldn't be too surprised, quite honestly. But I one of the things, these power rankings are very new that we're doing. This was the very first one that we put out. It's new for this season. But it was a lot of fun to go through them. I mean, it was challenging only technically really being a full week into the season like I mentioned with only a handful of teams having played two or three games so it was really hard to kind of judge teams based off of just that but as far as Chicago goes I was really impressed by them when I was really taking a moment to look through their stats I mean through uh, what is it four games that they've played they've got 14 different players who have contributed at least one point just through those first four games of the season. And I mean, all of the talent that they have on their roster, it's just stacked. They've returned Jake Livanovich, Nick Moldenhauer, Jack Harvey, who have all gotten involved early on. And then you lose Adam Fantilli, but you bring in Macklin Celebrini, who's going to be a top prospect in that 2024 draft. So, I mean, when, even when I was talking to now head coach and general manager Mike Garman during the offseason, he was talking about that a little bit more in depth as well. And he just says that in Chicago, their pipeline is so strong and that mm-hmm. their veteran players teach their younger players. So when it is time for that turnover, those younger players are ready to carry the torch. So I think that's something Chicago does really well. And even following suit, Tri-City kind of has developed, I think by happenstance when you compare the two, I mean, two very different personalities in Chicago and Tri-City, but the structure is kind of the same where Tri-City really focuses on developing those players. And I think you just have been, especially with them, seeing it pay off on the ice. One of the differences between those two, though, Chicago is getting top players out of Canada, which is probably a bit of more of a challenge for some of the other uh, clubs in the USHL. Much like the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League teams were trying to get top-notch American players to come north. You got to it's a different you know different um, atmosphere where you're growing up Americans naturally are tending more to go to the college route and Canadian players naturally would go to the uh, major junior route but Chicago is able to get Owen Power Adam Fantilli and now with uh, Max Celebrini what is it that Chicago is doing that other teams haven't been able to uh, emulate yet out of the USHL to get the Canadian talent yeah i think that's a good question and i think it just comes back down to their scouting and, you know, their front office with their not recruiting. I don't want to say that, but just when you see the work that they're able to do to really show these kids what they're capable of as an organization, and they've gone on to prove it by winning the Clark Cup and advancing those players to the next level. I mean, Mm -hmm. these kids will go on, be top draft picks, and it just goes to show. So, I mean, Chicago is kind of really becoming that landing spot four players who are really looking to take it division one major college hockey, then the NHL. And I think it just has, they've been so consistent with it for years now. I think that's really just kind of been, been what they've been able to sell. Yeah. Nick Moldenauer, another one that you mentioned also Canadian. And that's not to say that there aren't other Canadians around the USHL. Adam Ingram was playing in Youngstown last year and he was drafted and uh, Ryan Green was with uh, Green Bay, and he was drafted. Uh, so there are others, but just seems Chicago seems to be able to find a way to get 
the the really high end guys uh, for sure. But whatever they're doing, I mean, they're doing a great job of it. Uh, all right, what what other stories in the USHL are you following uh, early on here? You know, that's a good question. Right now, um, I've just been doing a lot of prospect profiles, and that's something that you can expect to see each week on the Rink Live YouTube, social media, and first and foremost on the website. Um, when I was out in Pittsburgh, I got to, the chance to talk to a lot of players one-on-one. So I did a feature on Oliver Moore of the NTDP last week, and then out yesterday was Michael Birchall of the Fighting Saints. So, I mean, there's there's plenty more to come. I've got a handful more from the NTDP, uh, Strathman and Whitelaw from Youngstown, Tanner Adams from Tri-City, and then a few Chicago players as well, like Jaden Cron, Zam Plant. So there is no shortage of content when it comes to the player aspect, which is always fun because you get to hear from their perspective. And I think that kind of personal touch to get to know the faces behind the player on the ice kind mm-hmm. of adds a different level to the game. I agree completely. When you're comparing, and I don't know if you would consider yourself a scout, but can you evaluate this year's crop of draft-eligible players to what we saw last year? And the, the NTDP team is always kind of different from the rest of the USHL just because it is the higher echelon of player in the United States uh, at that age group. But for the rest of the USHL players that are draft-eligible, can you compare to last year's group? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I'm I'm no scout by any means, mm-hmm. but you can kind of just tell last year's draft, even from rumblings that had been talked about, it was a lot lighter in talent compared to other years, whereas the 2023 draft, I mean, it's going to be stacked. There's going to be it's going to be a lot more tight with as far as players getting taken in the first round and whatnot. I think the pool there's a lot of really talented options that are going to be going, especially when you take a look at forwards. I think it, it's going to be a heavy draft, and I do foresee a lot of USHL players and past, current and former. I mean, Adam Fantilli is draft eligible for 2023. He's expected to do really well. A top three draft pick is what some people have speculated, and he's at Michigan now. So I'm, I'm just Former and present USHL players, I think there's going to be a lot of representation in 2023. Last one I wanted to ask you about, and another area where the USHL has done really well over the last decade is getting import goaltenders uh, into the league. I'm looking at the top 10 goalies uh, by stats right now, and probably half of them are are European, or there's a Canadian in there as well with Cameron Whitehead playing in Lincoln. But that's something else that seems uh, like the USHL has really made inroads here and I don't know if that's because it's it's such a, a, a stepping stone into the NCAA for these players, and if uh, these uh, Euros want to play college hockey, it's a good way to get acclimated to North American uh, hockey is to come play in the USHL. But and, and what do you think the, the secret is there to, to get these players over? You know, I'm not sure what the secret is, but I think the league itself has really proven itself and developed year after year I mean you get those events like the show or the fall classic excuse me out in Pittsburgh where Mm -hmm. you've got every single NCAA scout or coach in there NHL scouts that are there eyeing these players so I mean that's a ground right there for these players to get noticed but I mean you've you've got so much right here you've got all of the division one schools obviously here in North America that a lot of these players are coming to so I mean in order to get noticed it's easier in my opinion to be right here and just makes things a lot easier so I mean I don't know I think the league not only has proven itself on the ice at their events but now really seeing it 
come forth, as you will, as the Premier League for prospects once, you know, the draft comes and the numbers come out for themselves. And it seems to be getting higher and higher each year. So I think it's just proving itself with the numbers and talent they've been able to produce that have made it appealing to a lot of European players. Kirsten, it was great to catch up once again. I really appreciate your time. Uh, what can uh, readers find at the at the rinklive.com here in the next uh, little bit for the USHL coverage? Yeah, so I mean, like I mentioned, a couple more prospect profiles out each week. I got a new one coming out again tomorrow. Um, power rankings, we're continuing with those as well as feature stories and whatnot for USHL coverage. So there's no shortage of that there. And then also just a lot of college hockey coverage as well as youth hockey coverage. So, I mean, it's a good landing spot for any hockey fan to come check out. Absolutely. Great website for sure. And uh, really appreciate your time once again. I hope you don't mind if I call you in a, in a couple of months. No, go right ahead. That was Kirsten Krull from The Rink Live, who does a terrific job covering uh, not just the USHL, but uh, I know she's done NAHL in the past as well, and uh, she's uh, around uh, college hockey rinks. I think she was working in, at St. Cloud covering the Huskies for a long time. She knows her stuff, and uh, everybody at therinklive.com. Terrific writers, many who have been on the show in the past, and uh, some others that I'm hoping to get on the program this year. All right, we've got one more segment to go this week, and it's going to be an NCAA segment. The Campus Report's always brought to us by College Hockey, Inc. And this week we're going to be looking uh, especially close at Hockey East. But my guest is so knowledgeable that he'll uh, be able to answer questions from her around the rest of uh, Division One hockey as well. It is the one and only Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. He is up next here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Got the puck now in the corner. He and Louis Rail do battle. A pair of number sixes toward the front now. A nice play. They score. What a pretty goal by Brendan Brisson. And it's 2-1 Michigan. Uh, this is Brendan Brisson from the Chicago Steel, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA Hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Zegras. they score on the lacrosse move! McCarr. Down low, Peel McCarr. He scores! Gensel. the goalie score! Jake Gensel. All were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Is the cheapest drug there is. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and uh, one more segment to go in this week's episode. And of course, it's a uh, well, the program's brought to you by Will Hawk Beef Jerky. But these campus report segments are always brought to us by College Hockey Inc. Uh, if you're a player or you have one in your family and you need to know what you can or can't do to maintain your eligibility, well, College Hockey Inc. is a great resource for that. Check out their website or get in touch. With the uh, with the fine folks over there like Mike Snee, and they'll uh, they'll tell you exactly what you can and can't do, and answer any other questions that you might have. College hockey season gets underway. Well, there were some games last weekend, but man, it really kicks off this weekend. And my guest to uh, go through hockey East is uh, the one and only Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. Jimmy, uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? 
Oh, it's great to be back. I mean, if we're talking, it means it's the best time of year. Well, it's not It's not quite the beanpot yet. We do oh. that almost every year, it seems like. But uh, yeah, In, no, in the yeah. NCAA tournament, but I mean, there's kind of three times we talk, and I love <laughs> all three. And the best one is when you get to drop the puck, because I've been sick of watching this much golf. I love golf, <laughs> but I want to watch hockey. Come on, let's go. All right, well, tell me about Hockey East this year, because I know lots of changes, new faces behind the benches, and uh, always incoming players, and I'm sure there's some, maybe some shuffling of programs. There's some going further up the standings than they've been in recent years. Uh, but what's your take on uh, the the conference overall this year? Well, it's it's interesting. I guess I'll start where you were starting. You know, for the last 50 years, somebody named York or Parker have been behind the bench of either Boston University or Boston College, and one of the best rivalries in college hockey. With Jerry York retiring, of course, Jack Parker retired back in 2013. You won't have that this year, and for the first time in more than 100 years of their two programs, you're going to have two first-year head coaches wow. against one another, and Jay Pandolfo, who took over for Albie O'Connell at BU, and then Greg Brown, who took over for Jerry York at Boston College. And this is uh, this is such a legendary time. for It's such a shift for those two schools, and maybe not the, the league in general, but when you think of those two schools and how much they defined this league over the last 30-plus years, you really come down to it's it's a gravitas moment because you you are just so used to seeing legendary longtime head coaches. Now you're seeing two great, and I mean great, past players. Greg Brown, you know, uh, almost two decades as an assistant under Jerry York, associate head coach, uh, former player there, and then Jay Pandolfo, only one year there as a coach last season, but you know, a great. Uh, NHL career, 15 years, two Stanley Cups, you, you know, Hockey's Player of the Year in 1996, won a national championship in 95. I mean, you can keep going on with these resumes. These guys are two prolific coaches that are now about to step behind the bench of two legendary programs. And as I've said in a couple of podcasts to date, they control their destiny at these schools. They can stay there likely as long as they would like. They could each become the next Jerry York or the next Jack Parker mm. because they are thought of so highly at each school. And they're both young ish, you know, not as young as Jerry and Jack were when they took over programs, but they're both in, the, I believe they're either the late 40s, early 50s. So there's potential to have 20 plus year coaches and do some great things. So. It's such a different time when you just think of those two programs. That's just the start of the league. You know, you've got programs on the uptick. You've seen UMass in recent years be strong. Uh, you know, Providence has been strong. UConn last year getting to their first Hockey East championship game. UMass Lowell, a perennial contender. Northeastern with Devin Levi coming back. Uh, and then some uptick programs. Vermont with Todd Woodcroft has has done some decent things in terms of recruiting. I think they have six NHL draft picks on their roster this year. Ben Barr up at uh, Maine, UC uh, University of New Hampshire. Mike Souser has done some great things. I feel like every school, Merrimack had a great season last year, and, and Scotty Bork does a great job. There's so much potential for so many schools in this mm -hmm. league that it's almost a, a quite difficult 11-team league to handicap right now. Well, and that's what I was going to look at was just – from the outside looking in, very much the outside, from outside of the country, it, it does look like there's maybe one or two teams that, okay, well, Northeastern's probably going to be the number one team. They've got the the best goaltender in the country and, and things like that. But when you talk about new coaches for BU and BC, maybe there's some uncertainty, and we think we know what we should expect, but 
there could be some surprises here too, not just with those two pra- programs, but you mentioned uh, places like Vermont, and I think UConn could be a surprise team this year too. You never know. You know, UConn lost their goaltender, lost a couple of really good forwards, uh, but they still return a really core nucleus. Northeastern, as we mentioned, bringing back De- Devin Levi, you know, Aiden McDonough up front, you know, leads the country in in power play goals among returning players. That guy, you know, he's top ten in almost every other. Uh, statistical category in terms of returning players. Uh, I look at UMass Lowell. They lost Owen Savory in net, but they brought in a, a, a kid, uh, Gustav Gringles from Alaska Fairbanks. He gets a shutout in his first game he played last week. Uh, I feel like there's good storylines. There's also good potential. You look at UMass, yes, they lost a lot, and there's going to be a lot of offense to replace up front, but they, they re- re- return a a solid defensive core. And it's not just a defensive core. These guys all can jump into the rush. That's, you know, Craig Carvel has done a fantastic job of teaching these players that they've got to measure when they get in, involved in the play. I think, they, you know, they, their team probably does it as well as anybody uh, in the league, if not the country. Um, and then, as you said, there's, there's just some unknowns. Like, I don't know what Todd Woodcroft's teams are going to be like. I'm mm-hmm. going to see tomorrow night I'm calling their game on Nesson. I believe it's going to be on uh, up in Canada as well. They're going to play Northeastern down in Northeastern. That could be an interesting, you know, first Friday of the season matchup. And I, I think that there's a lot of good teams that could be scary. I, you mentioned recruiting classes. Jay Pandolfo had six freshmen that he recruited. Five of them he put in the lineup last Saturday night against Bentley. All five freshmen recorded multi-point games. Yeah. And they were the five top scorers on his team in one night. That's not bad. So <laughs> you just don't know, I guess, what you're going to get. Um, you know, he was the assistant last year. He got to do the recruiting himself in many ways. Um, so he has seen this firsthand building this team. And now he gets to execute as a coach. And, and that's a coach with NHL coaching experience. He played in the NHL once in the Cups, as I mentioned. I feel like there's so much potential for a team like BU. There's, there really is. I, I had a hard time, and I, I actually – because I don't write the hockey's column directly anymore for USCHO, I didn't have to actually make a pick. I didn't have to put out a ballot. And that actually made, that felt good as I was reading John Doyle, who does our column, as I was reading it, I'm going through it, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Eh, that's a little off. Yeah, I agree. But it was hard to disagree or agree with anything because I could see a team finishing second. I could see them finishing 10th. That's how wide open this league is. Wow. Well, you know, the Flyer fan in me needs to ask you about Jay O'Brien, and if this is his year at BU where he's finally going to have not just a healthy year, but a breakout year. I know he was one of their better players the last year, but he seems to always be, only be playing like a third or half the season. He has so much potential. Um, he didn't show it at Providence exactly as he needed to. Since he's gotten to BU, I think he's, as you say, he's been plagued by injuries. Um, I think he has to go in there and and play to his identity because he is a scorer and he's going to get the chance on lines again with some maybe some talented freshmen i think he played some time with matt brown last year who's another transfer from uh, umass Lowell. the two of them together are very good i i could see the development of a lot of good offense from o'brien but he's just got to stay healthy he's got to be in the right role i think he he has shown flashes and we know that but he has never seemed to put the cherry on the top of the Sunday. But he, he's got it. He's got the talent. There's no doubt about that. I'm going to go back to Connecticut for a second. And uh, the reason I bring them up before, uh, I know they lost their goaltender last year, but they've got a, a young Russian goaltender that's come in this year. 
who uh, maybe he's flying under the radar a bit, but he was outstanding in the USHL. He's been playing a couple, two or three seasons now in North America. Arseny Sergeyev, he's a, a Calgary Flames draft pick. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get a mention in the USCHO uh, a preview for, for Hockey East and for Connecticut. Neither did Matthew Wood, which I was surprised about. Here's a guy who's going to be a first-round pick this in 2023 and scored two goals, had an assist on opening weekend. And uh, not only is he... Uh, true freshman he's a an underage freshman what is i mean he's 17 years old that's that's extremely unusual youngest player in college hockey matt wood he'll he'll be phenomenal and maybe you know it's hard to identify freshmen you know we we don't as writers we don't because we cover the college game we don't get out to see we hear things but it's hard if the coach literally doesn't identify somebody as somebody to watch it's hard to to sometimes find them that goaltender you mentioned uh Say the name again for me. Uh, Arseny Sergeyev. Sergeyev, yeah. I've heard about him, and I know that he is going to probably carry the water much of the season for, for UConn. He seems to be somebody that Mike uh, Mike Cavanaugh is very high on. Uh, but you got to translate it into games. Mm-hmm. I listen Wood first weekend, no problem. He, he stood out last weekend against Vermont. Um, so he's going to be on a lot of radar screens. I talked to uh, Todd Woodcroft yesterday, and it was the first player he mentioned. And no surprise. Um, so I think that UConn, listen, Mike Cavanaugh was a great recruiter at Boston College. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a great recruiter at UConn. They are starting to come into their own, not just because of performance, but they're going to have that the, their own on-campus rink this year. They've ne- they've had one in the past. They weren't allowed to play in it. It was tiny. It was it was really a youth hockey rink in in terms of what you'd see across the U.S. and Canada. It was something that you wouldn't want to put a Division One men's team in. They're going to have a small but unbelievable venue. I think it's going to open somewhere between December and January this year. And it will be something that changes that program. I think it's only going to seat about 2,800. Some standing room only gets it above like 3,000, maybe 3,200. But everything I've seen, I was there at the groundbreaking, talked to their athletic director, talked to the people that you know helped fund this, helped build it. It is a building, and it will be one of the best looking and you know best equipped. When I talk about locker rooms, weight facilities, recovery rooms, all of that sort of stuff, they will have that all. Right now, the hockey team practices in that. I I, I don't want to uh, beat up that rink that they've been in for a long time, but in that small rink, and they've walked you know a quarter of a mile, a half a mile, just to work out because their training facilities weren't in the same building. Now it'll all be in one building. And winters will be a lot more enjoyable in stores. And it will take them out of Hartford. Hartford has been a good market for them, but it's about 25 minutes from campus. And it's not ideal for the students. The The business community in Hartford, which kind of does rally around all things UConn, they support the team, but they really need something on campus to engage. Everybody understands that students really bring the atmosphere to a college hockey community. And until UConn has that on-campus building, it's it just feels different. So I think that this year will be the year that they finally get an identity of what it's like to play on campus, have your students present, and hopefully create a great atmosphere. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is my guest. Uh, we're talking Hockey East, and uh, I guess the uh, the Winter Classic uh, in the NHL is also going to have some company here with the NCAA getting back to Fenway again. It's first time in, what, about three years? Yeah, it's actually probably a little bit more than more that. that. Um, it's been quite some time um, between renovations to Fenway, the actual uh, you know 
COVID, which kind of knocked everything back. But mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's doing it's going to be nice to get back there, I think. And um, the ability for Hawkeyes to get in there, play a double header, which is you know, I think if you've looked at the past, and I don't want to dwell too much on the past because Joe Bertani was a hell of a commissioner for this league, but you know he tried to get as many teams in there as possible, so they would play four games over two weekends. They're going to condense this all to one day for the men's side, and it'll be Northeastern UConn in one game, UMass, Boston College in another. All four schools kind of on the up right now in Boston College, whether they're having a great year or not, they're, they will draw fans because that's what Boston College does. But you have UMass gets a big crowd in there. UConn has really started to draw their, their crowd at the TD Garden last year for the Hockey's Championship game was phenomenal. And Northeastern always draws. So You'll have a good atmosphere. You'll have a good crowd in Fenway. That was kind of what was slipping in the later years of, of Frozen Fenway. And I, I don't remember the last time they did it. I want to actually say it was 2016, maybe, or 2017. And, and there were issues that year with weather. I think one week was so cold that the ice cracked. The other week was so warm the ice melted. They got rain. They were... <laughs> taking two-hour delays to get water off the ice. I, I remember them opening the Zamboni door, and it looked like the, the locks just broke on a river. So, I mean, <laughs> those aren't the, the most ideal. I, I actually just looked at it. It was 2016-17 season was the last time. So it's been quite some time wow. they've been able to do this. And so to go back, I think, you know, bringing the NHL in there at the same time, so you have the NHL's ice, it'll be better, probably better conditions. Um than in the past. I think that'll help a lot. I I think it'll be a good event. You know, it's it's always a challenge for for the league because you have to sell tickets to that. You have to sell tickets to your conference tournament, which is literally, you know, 10 weeks later. And just before that, if the four teams that head over to Belfast, two of them are Hockey East teams for the, the Friendship Four over in Belfast, Northern Ireland, you have some expenses with that. And you can you know that UMass is going to be in both Belfast. They're going to be at Fenway. Right. They could be at the Garden. So that that's a lot to ask fans. But I think that uh, Commissioner Steve Metcalf understands the challenge he's taken on. I think it'll be a good event. Jimmy, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the national tournament. With all these new programs coming in uh, to Division One, is there any talk yet about maybe expanding the 16-team national tournament? There is. Um, it's been discussed. And I think in the most simple ways to explain it is that usually it's percentage of teams that play the, the sport and hockey has been fortunate men's hockey as a, a 60 59 58 61 two no matter where they've gone uh sport uh team sport to be able to have 16 16 has actually been a little high now there is that discussion that in the coming years what has happened on the women's side with the the new ha the New England Women's Hockey Alliance? You'll get a scheduling alliance, something similar to that in the men's side, where teams like Assumption, Saint Anselm, Southern New Hampshire University, Stonehill, schools that have been in limbo. Stonehill has actually moved up their entire athletic program, but there's some schools in limbo that never dropped to Division Three, but they didn't have the desire to go to Division One. They're not now going to be allowed to play up uh, and potentially add what could be maybe eight or nine teams. So you could see Division One college hockey with 71, 72 teams. Wow. So the thought of, of you know, 16 maybe being expanded, I don't see 16 going to anything much more than 17 or 18. Really? But the thought of having 
you know, 18 teams in two play-in games, you know, especially for a league like the whatever this expanded conference is, or maybe for independence or something like that, give them a chance to play a game and get into the tournament. I think that that is fair, and that is what you'll probably see. Basketball did it when they went, you know, basketball, of course, has so many more teams. Right. But they went from 64 to 66 to 68. So I wouldn't be surprised to see hockey at some point go from 16 to 17 to 18. And then in that, you have one play-in round and then maybe two, two play-in games. They, would be, they wouldn't be played in a regional setting, I think. I think just like basketball, they would be taken on a Tuesday night, played right after Selection Sunday, Really quick game on Tuesday, and then if you advance, you play that next Saturday, whatever it is, Friday, Sunday, whatever the regional would be. You would play the latest regional possible. That's where I think it could go, but there's no real concrete discussion right now just because of the fact that as a 60-team sport, 16 teams is a little high on their percentage. The NCAA, if I remember right, likes 25% of their team, so uh, 60 would be... 15 teams if my math is good um 70 i'm not sure exactly where that lies my math isn't that strong but i think 70 <laughs> would get you up around that 17 18 team uh proportion that would make a little bit more sense but you'd have to see it get up to like somewhere between 68 and 72 to see some expansion all right well we'll see if that uh, checks out in the near future uh, lastly denver's the defending champ uh, I'm going to say Denver or the field. Are you taking the the Pioneers to repeat, or somebody going to knock them off their perch this year? Well, I'm going to take the field. That's just good <laughs> odds. But I, I I actually really like Minnesota. Um, you know, somehow Bob Mosco got a lot of players to return. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to what Mel Pearson did last year at Michigan. But I think that these guys have a different focus. They're not all first round picks. They're good players. They're guys that could have maybe gone to the NHL. But he got a lot of guys to return, and I think they all have that sole focus of getting there. Now, the pressure does go on your shoulders when you do that, and it's very difficult. But I think, listen, Denver's going to be good, too. I don't think there's anything wrong with Denver, and I wouldn't you know, pick against them if it was maybe we're in a Final Four situation, a Frozen Four. And it's you know, them, Minnesota, and two other teams. I still might, Then I might pick Denver. But they've got to get there, and it's hard. It's really hard to repeat. You've only seen so many repeat champions, I think, three in the last uh, 30, 40 years of college hockey. So it's very difficult to do. But uh, I wouldn't bet against Denver. But if I'm going to get a chance for Denver versus the field, give me the field all day. Denver is one of those teams that did repeat, though. They were. They absolutely were. It's a long time ago. 2004 and five, if yeah. my math still right i believe so yeah george Gwazdecki days. yeah i can't do that off the cuff as much yeah yeah oh well jimmy this was great appreciate catching up uh, as always and uh I'll, i'm sure i'll call you before the bean pot how about that yeah no problem anytime you know i'm always uh i'm always out there for you oh, jimmy! that was jimmy Connolly from uscho and i do i think yukon is uh is flying under the radar right now and i think they're going to surprise some teams not suggesting they're going to give Northeastern a run at the top or, or UMass, uh, but I do think they're uh, they're going to be in that 4-5 mix. That's where I'm putting them this year. Tell me I'm wrong. At TPS underscore Gee is where you can find me on the old Twitter machine. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Appreciate all four guests that you heard here on the program this week, next week. Uh, more of the same as we'll continue to look around the 
world of prospect hockey, whether that's going to be uh, back in the WHL, as we did all of September. Some other guests that I want to line up, though, if there are guests that you've never heard on the Pipeline show before that you'd like me to get on, whether they're media people uh, or coaches or, you know, obviously players come and go at the junior and college uh, level, but think my uh, dip my toe back into the uh, the North American Hockey League again this season, and always interested to uh, speak with new people that we've had on uh, that would I've never had on the show, including a couple that we had this week. You can always send those to me on Twitter as well at tps underscore gee. Just a quick thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at Patreon.com/slash/ThePipelineShow. It's a couple of bucks a month, American, and you can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a on a full and complete episode. All of these segments, they're all individually available to patrons, usually well before the show actually comes out, sometimes three or four days before. Uh, this this one with uh, Jimmy Connolly is actually the night before the episode comes out in full, so that one was kind of right at the tail end of the week. But still, early access. Still get it before the general public does. So if that would interest you, check out patreon.com slash show. And with that, I bid you a great weekend. Get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that we can talk about it again next week right here on The Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Keith Flaming. See ya!